<laughs> Welcome to the month of Halloween, which means one of the animals we're talking about will be Halloweeny. Hi guys, my name is Deidre, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Weird Animal Facts. Explicit. So my name's Deidre, and I am a zookeeper, so which means I know a little bit about animals, and uh, we are going to be talking about some amazing animals today. Two, to be exact. Um, well, actually, kind of a group of two, um, but the first animal we're talking about isn't really a Halloween one, but it kind of could be. It is the fire salamander. And the second animal, which is a group of animals, and I am actually super, super stoked about this. We are going to be talking about New World Tarantulas. <laughs> so that's your Halloween animal for the month. Since it's October, we like to talk about Halloween animals and why maybe you shouldn't be afraid of animals who, you know, represent Halloween. Because Halloween's amazing, but animals, I dare say it, are more amazing. But you guys are not here to hear me talk. Well, you are, kind of, but not hear me talk about me. You're here to learn about animals, or at least be entertained about animal facts. So, without further ado, I think we'll go ahead and get started with our very first animal. <laughs> the fire salamander. The mother of dragons. Or salamanders. Or at least that's what legend suggests. Native to Europe, the uh, naturalist of the time, and I use that term very loosely. These naturalists assumed that the fire salamander was just like Khaleesi and could rise from the flames of the fire and even extinguish fire. Some even thought that this tiny salamander could create fire. To test this, those so-called naturalists would sacrifice these salamanders to the fire, all in the name of science. None of that is true. Well, I mean, they did burn innocent salamanders because they didn't understand that salamanders live in logs, and uh, when you set someone's house on fire, they are going to evacuate. So let's uh, clear the air. The fire salamander cannot create, survive, or extinguish fire. They're a salamander, not Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, rightful heir to the Iron Throne, rightful queen of the Andals and the First Men, protector of the Seven Kingdoms, the mother of dragons, the Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, the Unburnt, the Breaker of Chains. It's a salamander. Now I, by all means, am not attempting to downgrade the wonderfully weirdly ways of the fire salamander. I just want to share the truth. And the truth is, it's a salamander. And not the one from Frozen 2 either. But how cute is that little thing? And the real thing is just as cute. Around the length of a pencil, this amphibian is black with fiery orange and yellow markings that are scattered randomly across its moist, smooth skin. Moist. By the way, salamanders are not reptiles, nor are they lizards. Lizards typically have dry skin and scales. Salamanders are amphibians with moist, smooth, sleek skin. Moist. Reptiles are actually more closely related to birds than amphibians. But what makes an animal an amphibian? 
You know what that sound means. It's time to play a lightning round of... Why It's an Amphibian! Let's put 30 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. How do amphibians fuck? Multiple ways. Many do externally. Females lay eggs and the males jerk off over top. But the fire salamander creates a sperm jelly that slides into the female's cloaca. Correct! Are amphibians warm-blooded or cold-blooded? Cold-blooded! Correct! What fills their bellies? Meat! All amphibians are carnivorous. Correct! How does the fire salamander breathe? Through its skin! But also gills when they are larvae, and then lungs when they're adults. Metamorphosis! Correct! Do they live in water or on land? Both! Amphibians come from the Greek word amphibious, which means double life. Correct! As you can see, amphibians are very complicated creatures. But for as complicated as they are, we do understand quite a bit about them. Like the fact that when the ecosystem starts to go out of whack, amphibians are the first to tell us. Not by email, but by dying? Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. And the amphibian population has been declining about 4% every year. And scientists started to really notice this back in the 80s. So uh, I'll let you do the math on that one. Amphibians are indicator species, meaning they indicate to us when things are fucked up. And in case you don't live in a Disney movie like the rest of us, things are indeed fucked up. And because I don't have uh, solutions, just education through inappropriate jokes, let's move away from this downer shit and brighten the mood. The colors of the fire salamander are bright. Shine bright like a salamander. Shine bright like a salamander. Why? To tell you something. Imagine you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see a giant orange diamond-shaped sign. It's bright orange to get your attention, and to tell you that danger is ahead, such as road construction. You best proceed with caution. That's what the bright colors of the fire salamander indicate. He's saying, if you eat, kiss, or lick my skin, you could get sick or even die. So you better reevaluate your next move. This is called, oh, this is a fancy word, a posmetism, a pomazicism. I'm going to have my phone say it, because I'm pretty sure I am saying it wrong. And for those of you just joining us, at the end of each animal segment, we do a fun segment called... Scientific names are hard, proving that I cannot read names that are too difficult. Some of them I can read, but that's because I put a lot of effort into it. And obviously, this word, not a lot of effort. Alright, here's the word. Abysemitism. So... Abysemitism. It's just a way for animals to advertise that they are tough shit, and you don't want to fuck with them. And it doesn't just have to be bright colors. It could also be countering bright colors, loud sounds, nasty smells, or even spines. Animals that represent all of these, or different variations of these, will be poison dart frog, wasp, rattlesnake, lionfish, porcupine, skunk, tiger, and even the monarch butterfly is poisonous. And this list can go on and on and on. These animals are not challenging you to a fight. See, they're just like that juiced-up guy you see at the gym who you take one look at, and after seeing muscles in places you didn't even know existed, you easily see why starting a fight with him may put you in a body bag. 
and it will put him in a body bag too if he keeps juicing. Basically, don't go around licking brightly colored animals. If you want to see a salamander in the wild, the best time to go herping... Okay, let's back up for a second. The word herping is what a word that herpetologists use basically when they go looking for herps. And not like herpes. We're talking about animals such as snakes, turtles, lizards, toads, frogs, salamanders, and newts. Herpetology is the study of all those animals. So you're, basically what you're doing is you're looking for salamanders. We're looking. We're looking. We're looking for salamanders. And the best time to go herping is after it rains in the early evening and you look underneath downed locks. And just like sex, it is best to clean yourself before and after. Washing your hands prior will help keep the salamander safe, and washing your hands after will help keep you safe. As those nature geeks would say, take only pictures and leave behind only footprints. By the way, I'm one of the nature geeks, so uh, please take my advice. And if you want to see a fire salamander in the wild, then go to Europe. You know, once you're allowed to visit other lands. So there you have it, folks, the fire salamander. And just, you know, there's a lot of other facts about fire salamanders and salamanders in general, but we're going to get into a little bit deeper about salamander facts and even amphibian facts in some other episodes. So if you want to learn more, keep on tuning in. Subscribe, like, share with all your friends. You know, the friends who are appropriately aged. After all, this is an explicit show for non-children. So adults. 18 up. Yeah, you know. I don't know. If you have kids, use your discretion if you want them to listen to this or not. Anyways, now since we're done with that segment, it's time to move on to another segment called... Scientific Names Are Hard. Oh, and yes, they are. But this one I think is easy because, you know, sometimes when, like, I'm making sure all my facts are correct when I'm looking stuff up, I see the scientific name just pop up, and this one popped up a few times, and I was like, ha! This segment is going to be super easy, breezy, beautiful salamander girl. So, my roommate Emily wrote on this piece of paper the scientific name so I can read it and be surprised, even though I kind of know what it is. Here it is, the fire salamander's scientific name. Salamandra Salamandre. That was so good. And you know what? It kind of sounds like Samantha, which is ironic because with the fire salamander, we mentioned Frozen 2, and if you've seen that movie, Olaf says, Samantha? And uh, Salamandra is kind of like Samantha. So uh, that might help you remember it better. It's going to help me remember it. Yay! All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the part of the show I have been looking forward to. <sighs> the Halloween time. <laughs> it did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. Okay. Now for this Halloween stuff, we're going to get down to business and talk about some animals. It's the transition song. From going to one topic to the next. It's the transition song. So that we have no awkward silence. New World Tarantulas. Better known as... Ah! Get out! Kill it! Kill it! Fucking kill it! And if you are one of the many people in the world who have beef with spiders, then I am here to tell you that you shouldn't. Spiders are a gift from God. 
or Buddha or evolution or whatever you believe in. And I know there are a lot more people out there who don't like spiders than there are people who like spiders. And you know what? I don't care if you don't like them. In fact, you don't have to like any animals. However, though, um, if you don't like any animals, there might be something wrong with you. And also, why are you even listening right now? Hopefully to broaden your spectrum. Anyways, like I said, I don't have to like them. Just all I ask is for you to respect them. Treat them like that coworker, um, you know, the coworker at work who does their job, but it's just a little odd. And because of their weird vibe that they give off, you never invite them out for a beer. But yet at work, the two of you have a mutual working relationship. They do their job, you do yours. You are strictly work proximity associates. But let's say uh, you went and you took a chance and you had a beer with them. Doing that, you would learn the only reason you thought that person was weird was because you didn't understand them. Most people are afraid of things they don't understand and are put off by things that are different. For example, a spider has too many legs. A snake doesn't have enough legs, right? They're weird, they're different. We don't understand it. So I want you to imagine me as that weirdo co-worker of yours, and I want you to go grab a beer and let me explain to you why spiders are amazing. All right, and get this, before you freak out too much, we're not even going to be talking about the scariest of spiders. We are talking about new world tarantulas. And now seeing that there are new world tarantulas should indicate to you that there are also old world tarantulas. So if you think about it like new and old world monkeys. By the way, that's a thing. Yeah. Old world refers to the original world. As in before Columbus took credit for Leif Erikson's findings and brought the arrogant white men to the Americas. Old world tarantulas come from Asia, Africa, Europe, and Australia. New world tarantulas come from North and South America. And uh, as for the old world tarantulas, uh, they actually can be pretty big dickheads. They are more aggressive and super fast. Talk about terrifying. Which makes me feel a lot safer about living in this new world. And, uh, you know, the new world tarantulas, the ones we're talking about today who aren't big dickheads, tend to be slower, and their venom isn't as lethal. You know, unlike the tarantula dicks of the old world. They're actually, the new world tarantulas actually are so docile that many people have them as pets. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You can have a spider as a pet. And if you are brave enough or, you know, willing to take in the responsibilities of a pet, I would suggest the new world tarantula versus the old world. Because not only are they not as big a dickheads, but they're also super cute and fluffy. Okay, maybe fluffy's not the right word, and we'll explain that a little bit later. And get this, they're also pretty easy to care for. Just do your research before you get any pet. Whether it's adorable New World Tarantula, a dog, a cat, a horse, or even if you wanted a pet rock. Or a plant, yeah. Or a child. Alright, so aside from me anthropomorphizing, anthropomorphizing, gosh, words are so freaking hard. Anyways, aside from me anthropomorphize and labeling Old World Tarantulas as dicks, there is actually a visible difference between the Old World Tarantula and the New World. And I'm not just talking about their threatening speed. I'm talking about their hair. See, they are actually kind of fluffy. They're so fluffy, I'm gonna die! Kind of. Old world tarantulas do not have hair. The new worlds do. And 
That is what we are talking about today. And I am so excited about this because their hair is amazingly weird, which makes them perfect candidates for the show. And I have been so excited about this episode ever since I learned about how unique their hair is and the different functions of the hair and how it differs, oh, and how it's different depending on the species and how there are different types of hair. And <sighs> I'm getting ahead of myself um, because as amazing as these hairs are, oh, we do need to break it down so we can better understand, so that I'm not, not just yelling at you, these are amazing! All right, we can, ex we can explain why they are amazing. So, let's break it down. Break it down now, y'all. Urticating hair. That is what tarantula hair is called, and it's not like our hair. In past episodes, you've heard me talk about the skin protein, keratin. And keratin is what makes up mammal's fur, tusk, horns, spines, birds' feathers, beaks, and reptile scales, shells, and spikes. But the urticating hairs of the tarantula are made up of something entirely different. Cretin, which is more like cellulose than a protein. And cretin is a major component that helps make up the exoskeleton of insects. And although the tarantula is not an insect, because they are arachnids, and arachnids are as different to insects as birds are to fish. Even though the tarantula is not an insect, it does have an exoskeleton that is comprised of, you guessed it, cretin. Release the cretin! So, because technically the hair of the tarantula is not hair at all, we're not going to call it that anymore. We are going to call it by its correct name, which is Ceta. Urticating Ceta. S-E-T-A-E. Ceta. About 90% of New World tarantulas have Ceta. And the Ceta is not all the same. Let's take another step back. I want you to think about the fur of ungulants. If you don't know what an ungulant is, that's what I'm here for. Yay! Ungulants are large mammals with hooves, such as horses, rhinos, cows, pigs, giraffes, camel, sheep, etc., etc. Now, pick two of the ungulates, and let's say you're picking the horse and the sheep. Think about their fur and how the fur of the horse may differ from that of the sheep or even a pig who, like a peccary, whose fur is actually super coarse. Whether it's the mane of the horse, the wool of the sheep, or the almost prickly fur of the peccary, it's all still fur. It's just different types of fur. The urticating ceta is just like that. And there are actually six types of ceta that the New World Tarantula have. And if you want an up-close picture of the Ceta, because I know you do, because it's so exciting, I am going to put a photograph, well, I guess it's not a photograph, it's like a drawing, an image, of the different types of hair of the tarantulas, of the New World Tarantulas, so you can see, and it'll be on our Instagram, at WAF Podcast. WAF stands for Weird Animal Facts, in case you forgot what you were listening to. Let's talk about this Ceta, because just like how the function of a porcupine's hair has a different purpose than that of the slicked-backed hair of a beaver, so does that of the tarantula hairs. I mean Ceta. Ceta. I'm talking about Ceta. Most of the urticating Ceta have barbs on the end. If you've ever walked to a cactus and the needles were now in you instead of the cactus, that's exactly the purpose of the barbs. It's like Velcro and it holds on. There are also cacti out there that have needles that just puncture you. You know, like a sword. It goes in and comes out. Goes in and comes out. Kind of like a dick. But why? That's always the big question. 
Why are there so many different types of CETA? Adaptation, staying alive, staying alive. Adaptation, staying alive. They adapt. Adaptations. Most of the CETA is for defense, similar to how when you walk into the cactus. But unlike cacti, tarantulas have legs. And when threatened, the tarantulas will use their legs the same way Megan Rapino did in the World Cup. To kick. But instead of kicking balls, they will kick off the barbseta from their abdomen into the eyes and mucous membrane of their opponent. Which can then result in respiratory issues and or blindness. Side note, if you like spiders and are seriously considering getting one as a pet, don't let this fact detour you. Because one, new world tarantulas don't jump and are slow, so you have that going for you. And two, I assume if you get any animal as a pet, you won't be a dick to it. Because that's the only reason why people get the urticating cetas in their eyes. When they are dicks to spiders and blow on them for some stupid reason. See, there was actually this show way back when, on I think it was on Animal Planet, called When Animals Attack. When it really should have been called When People Are Dicks to Animals. Because the only reason animals attack are when they are threatened. And you know what, this should be a rule for, for life. Don't be a dick and you won't get hurt. Back to the show. Some tarantulas will use their barbed cedar for a less dangerous task. And if you are interested in having a spider as a pet, this next thing is important to know so that you don't have a heart attack when you think your pet tarantula is dead. So just like how snakes have to shed their skin when they outgrow it, invertebrates do the same thing, but they do it with their exoskeleton, because that exoskeleton does not grow with the rest of their body. With arachnids, it's called molting. And it takes a lot of energy and some time. Most often, the tarantula will roll on its back and you'll think it's dead, when actually it's just trying to pull itself out of a tight pair of jeans. But with the horror film feel of a, a zombie crawling out of a grave. And it can be hard, so some tarantulas will create a molt mat. It's kind of like a rug on the ground, uh, only made out of uh, their silk webbing, and because tarantulas webbing isn't as sticky as like Spider-Man's, uh, they will embed some of their barbed cedar into the molt mat, and once it's time to molt, they will lay their back on the mat, and the barbs of the cedar that have been threaded into the mat will help to hold on to their old exoskeleton for easy release. Fun fact! Male tarantulas can sometimes die during molting because their sex organs get in the way. What an awful way to go. <laughs> That's one downside of having a big, you know man part. Another reason they embed the urticating cedar into the webbing is to help protect the egg sac, and some believe that the urticating cedar in the webbing of the egg sac helps protect it from fly larvae, who would otherwise kill it. I want to go back and think about those ungulates from earlier, specifically the horse, because horses have different types of hair on their body. The mane and the tail fur is much thicker than that of the short, smooth hair that covers the rest of their body. The thick hair on the tail helps the horse to better swat away flies. That's an adaptation. Adaptation, staying alive, staying alive. And just like how there are different types of hair on the horse, 
tarantulas have different types of seda on their abdomen. In fact, depending on the species of tarantula, they will have different types of seda on different parts of their abdomen. For example, the blue-fanged tarantula have the sword-like pokey seda on their pedipals. The pedipals, by the way, are the arms of the tarantula, which sometimes trick people into thinking that the tarantula has 10 legs instead of eights. And the pedipals straddle the fangs and are what pulls the food into the vortex of the venom death. For the blue fang tarantula, along with the pokey pokey seda on the pedipeds, they also have the more traditional Velcro-like seda on their abdomen. The Chilean rosehair tarantula, one of my favorites, have very long Velcro-like urticating setas that cover the majority of the center of their abdomen. And they also will have shorter urticating seta that circle around those longer ones. The Chilean copper tarantula only has two tiny patches of urticating seta. And the pumpkin patch tarantula, in honor of Halloween, only has a landing strip type patch in the center of their abdomen. And on both these species, as well as many others, they'll have just normal old boarding seta that covers the rest of their abdomen. So just the normal boarding seta isn't the urticating stuff. The urticating ones is the ones that's like pokey, pokey, specky, specky, ouch, ouch. And even though they do have some boring seta, tarantulas are anything but boring, that is. My goal for this tarantula segment was to help you understand that spiders are not horrible. Just like how millions of other animals and humans they are just trying to survive. And I don't know about you, but when I'm treated with respect, I give respect back. By the moment you start waving your dicky attitude around in my face, not only can you expect the same in return, but quite possibly more. And this relates to the tarantula because there are a lot of dicks out there who are dicks to spiders and tarantulas. So basically, if you want to survive, just don't be a dick. That was your public service announcement, brought to you by Weird Animal Facts Explicit. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for that segment that makes me feel really stupid half the time. And I have a feeling this one's going to make me feel really stupid, because when Emily, my roommate, handed me the list, which I hadn't looked at yet, she said that she started cracking up laughing at one of the words, or one of the names, because she had a feeling I was going to struggle saying it. So, um, let's see if she's right. So here we go. The segment you guys love. Scientific names are hard. Alright, so we have a few scientific names of New World Tarantulas, because there's a lot out there. Um, so I uh, asked Emily to write down the ones that we talked about in today's show. So, let's start at the beginning. The Blue Fang Tarantula. Oh, goodness. Ephipopus. Ephipotus. Sinon... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ephipotus. Sinagonatus. Alright, we're gonna sound start really slowly. Ephipopus cyanogonathus. Great, that was perfect, wasn't it? Okay, Chilean rose-tailed tarantula. Gramo Gramostola rose. Gramostola rose. Yeah, it's kinda like a a grandma wine. A rose wine for grandma. Yeah. I'll remember that one, hopefully. Chilean next, sorry. Chilean copper tarantula. Oh, there's an X in it. Phyrexore. <clears throat> nope. Phyrexontrixa. Scrofa. Scrofa. 
Beer axe hold trunks Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna skip that one because that one, whew, it's hurting my brain. Okay, and finally we have the pumpkin patch tarantula. Species Columbia. Oh, it's only one word. Hapalopus. 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 Hapalopus and happy Halloween! <laughs> Those are the scientific names of some of the New World Tarantulas. I hope you enjoyed it very, very much. And I hope you enjoyed this episode because there is more on the way. Well, not today. Because um, today, this week we're done. Taking a break now because we're at the end. But there'll be more next week. And then after that, we will have a very special Halloween episode. So the week of Halloween, both the animals will be Halloween. Now, not your traditional Halloween, because we're actually going to talk about the animals who should represent Halloween because, well, they should scare you. But we won't talk about it yet because we still have another week before then. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, review. I mean, hopefully it's a positive review. <laughs> share with your friends and everyone. Maybe share with your enemies, too. Maybe your enemies will like this. Who knows? Share with the world because education is fantastic. Just don't share with the children because we talk about things kids probably shouldn't hear about, even though it is educational. Again, your discretion. Explicit. There for a reason. I'll go to our Instagram at WAF Podcast to see some pictures of the animals we talked about today, as well as the urticating cedar of the tarantula. I'm so excited. Ah, Okay. Um, Yeah, that's the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, stay weird.